Today on The Chick in Charge, Mary celebrates the power of being different with Judge Penny Brown Reynolds. Believing that education is the key to creating her extraordinary life, Judge Penny is an entrepreneur to the core. With a humble past, she believes that a plan is crucial to achieving your goals from pain to power. Judge Penny holds fast that self-belief combined with passion and hard work will move you forward. Pulling from inspiring icons like Diana Ross, Alex Haley, Perry Mason, and Diane Carroll, Judge Penny proves that a life worth living is an inspired one. Welcome to the Chicken Charge. All-in-One Security CEO Mary Parker celebrates the success of women in the world of business and in life. Mary's own humble beginnings in rural Mississippi led her to become one of the only African-American females running a multi-million dollar security firm. She is definitely the chick in charge. Here now is Mary Parker. Good morning. This is Mary Parker, and I am the Chick in Charge, and we are about to have our Chick in Charge podcast today with a phenomenal woman, an extraordinary in everything that she does, and we are going to allow this show for Judge Penny to just share with us, to impart in us. So many adjectives can describe her, woman of God, authentic confident, smart, beautiful, bold, courageous, and I could go on and on. But we are going to hear from Judge Penny. Good morning, Judge Penny. Oh, good morning. Good morning. I've been wanting to be with you for I don't know how long. I'm an avid listener. I am just a fan. I'm a Mary Parker. I need to be the president of your fan club. Ah, we can do that. Yeah. We don't have one. Yeah, because when you were (laughs) describing me, those attributes could easily mean you because you are a woman of God, but in terms of entrepreneurship, I mean off the scales. And you never would know that upon meeting you because you walk in such humility. So I'm honored to be here today and call you my friend and my sister. Oh, absolutely. Isn't it wonderful, though, when business women, Christian women can come together and be in one accord and ready to support one to the other? Absolutely. Okay. Judge Penny, share with us today. I want to hear some of your stories, and I know the audience does as well. But before we go there, you are a well, well accomplished woman. You're pastor, judge. You've had your own television show. Now you are one of the nation's most sought-after speakers. That is encouraging to me as well. But I applaud you for all of those accomplishments, and you still walk in the humility from whence you have come. So let's go. Thank you. I was the girl who never fit in anywhere. I uh, came from extreme poverty and had big dreams. That was a part of not fitting in. But I never felt that I wanted to pick one thing. When I was a little girl, my mother, this was in the 60s, And my mother, who looked like Lena Horne, was in a grocery store. And a woman who was an older white woman, now this is in the 60s, and I'm probably about six or seven years old. And she went to my mother and she said, what such a beautiful little girl. And she leaned over and I had my long pigtails. And she said, little girl, what are you going to be when you grow up? And my mother said, excuse me, madam. 
Don't ask her what is she going to be because she can do many things. Ask her what are some of the things she's going to do. Love that. And from that moment on, it resonated, but my mother always told me I didn't have to pick one thing. Because no matter what, when we'd go to school and people wanted to be one thing, I never felt comfortable saying that. So I wanted to be an author at a time when there were no black female authors. First book I read was from Alex Haley's Roots, and I read it from cover to cover, so that inspired me. I knew that I wanted to be a judge because of all the injustices that I saw, but um, Diana Ross was my role model because I also sing. So I had that. Then I would watch 60 Minutes, and I would wonder, oh, my goodness, I want to do that. But I was a Perry Mason fan, and I would look at that. So when I look back, Diane Carroll, who was just absolutely beautiful with fashion. And so through it all, I was that girl who felt that I wanted to be a lot of things, but I always had a diversified vision, and that's what I call it. And once I tapped in to the power of being different, as opposed to trying to be like everyone else, I did try. I tried to fit in. And it never worked out for me. Because sometimes when you are like I am, and even like you, because I find that I'm closest with women or I'm attracted to women, entrepreneurs, who we spend a lot of time, like if you're an employee, Making the transition from being an employee to an employer is saying to yourself, they can hire me to build their dreams or I can build my own dreams. And hire someone else to, to fulfill those dreams. That's it. This is, this is great stuff. And, you know, one of the things that, because I see a lot of what you're speaking of in myself as well, and I too was that little girl that watched all of these other things that were beyond what we were aware of. But that's what I wanted to be. I didn't want to be, to answer the question in the grocery store, what do you want to be when you grew up? I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, but I knew what I didn't want to be. And because of knowing what I didn't want to be, that was my driving force to ensure that I didn't land there. And in doing so, all of these other things that I wanted to do they were manifesting themselves because it was different. And I, too, was that girl who dared to be different. And as a result of that, we're having this conversation today. So as you looked at your life ahead of you, how did you plan which of those things you do first? Well, for us growing up, education was all, always our ticket out. African Americans always saw that as a way of saying, I need to get my education. And so even now, with after having a bachelor's, a, J, a juris doctor, a, a master's degree, and now I'm in a Ph.D. program, I think I took it to heart too much maybe because <laughs> even at my age, um, I still believe that education is so key. But now I know through being in business, uh, when I went to Hollywood, I, I decided I wanted to do a television show. And I watched Judge Judy and I watched other people because for me, you have to see the vision first. And I've always been a visionary. That was even before I connected with God and knew that maybe there was something. I just knew I, I didn't want to live an ordinary life. Regular and ordinary wasn't, wasn't going to satisfy me. And I could never find satisfaction in just 
being ordinary. I wanted to be something different. But it was an uphill battle because who did I know to do television? And I wanted to own my own show because Barbara Walters and Oprah Winfrey did. And so here I am, this girl with no wealth, no, you know, nothing to do it. But I had an entrepreneurial spirit, I always have. I was the little girl that had candy at school and I sold. If they gave me money, I would take my money to sell the candy. So that entrepreneurial spirit was in me. My grandmother would sell dinners on Fridays. Oh my gosh. And my family, they were bricklayers. And so they were different kinds of entrepreneurship, but it's always been around me where I always wanted to own my own destiny. No matter how many kings I built from being the governor's lawyer to being the lieutenant governor's chief of staff. I was always in a position of trying to learn. I saw wherever, wherever I am, I believe that God has placed me there to learn. But it was always to learn for where I was supposed to be. It was never to learn to just be satisfied. Now there are people who are, and I commend them for that. But I'm just speaking of, the person who was that girl who never fit in anywhere, but then became focused enough. So when I am focused, I develop a plan. It started with my education. So for me, how do you do television when you know nothing about that? You're a judge. What do you do? Then I begin to research. Planning is very important in terms of being analytical. I think for me, that was the biggest issue of trying to get to know everything I could about it. And I am one of these people that I don't believe any one person opens the door for me. I am, and I always use biblical characters. Please do. Okay. I always use biblical characters. For me, my biblical person is Joseph. Okay? That's the person for whom I just believe. We talk about that all the time. Okay. My name is Josephine. Okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, well, you get it. I get it. That one that dared to dream. That's right. The one that just said, wait a minute. But it was a pathway to this. People look at you, and they think, oh, this is so easy to do. Oh, she's got it. Make it plain. Make it plain. That's it. It's not. It is through the pain that I'm certain all of us have endured. Any entrepreneur, whether they failed at their businesses or whatever they've done, particularly females, from the pain, I was able to tap into the power. But now I move from pain to power to now I'm walking in my authority, which is different. What I noticed from the progression of what Joseph did, that pit represented isolation, being alone. If you're going to be a business person, if you don't believe in you and your capabilities, trying to sell it to someone else, are you willing to make the sacrifices in order to be able to do it? Are you willing to either put up the money, your reputation? What are you willing to do to say, wait a minute, I have, it's not enough to have a vision. Everybody dreams. Dreams come. We're all, we're all built with that. God puts that inside of us. But I think the key was, what do I do to take my vision and now make it to the next step? That's what you did. And so for me, I said, let me do the research. Let me get educated. I'm, I can't go to school on what they do in Hollywood. And believe it or not, those people were not impressed with my degrees. They'll let the person from the mailroom work their way up before they will really honor degrees. And that was a shocker to me. I kept thinking, but wait a minute. No, it's based on hard work. You look at Silicon Valley, it's based on being uh, innovative. It's something different in business than just relying on education. 
right? And, and absolutely, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I always tell people that I speak with, I'm probably one of your least academia persons. Yes. However, when it comes to wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, those are gifts and attributes from God, and I've embraced that. And with doing so, the lessons we need from an educational perspective, he's equipped me to be smart enough to know where the smart people are. Now, that, that's, that's the point. I had to die, go back and step back and realize what was this whole education thing about. Well, I came out of an environment where they thought that's how you made it. But once I got to Los Angeles and I saw that has nothing to do with it, and I became a true entrepreneur. You're not an entrepreneur until other people depend on you and your gift in order to pay their bills. Once you have to make a payroll, that's an awesome kind of situation because you know other people are depending on you. So education doesn't have anything to do with it. For me, it had to do with a way to mask my insecurities. Ah, that it is was, big. That's it, big. It was a major piece to my self-worth. I began to correlate my self-worth with my education. That is an amazing analogy. And I'm sure there are many people, especially those who are listening to the show today, would agree with you. Um, and, and it really explains another thing. When I was in corporate America, uh, especially as director of security, I'd become a specialist. I specialized in the industry for which I was serving. As a result of that, I didn't go back to get my degree until I was in my late 40s. And then it was based on a lot of what I already, what I was, the lane I was already in. But the point here is for me, education was twofold. It was a way, it was a means of, of uh, proving to our parents that they had created, you know, smart kids, even though the two, my mom and dad did not have as much as a sixth grade education together. But that did not limit, education did not limit, or the lack of education did not limit my dreams and the visions that God continued to pour into me. And I just began to believe that, you know, if this is something God's got for me, he's the person who knows everything about everything, so I'm going to learn to rely on that. And that's what I did. But I am a proponent for education because, as you indicated earlier, even today and even with all of the student loans, it's still a way of opening a door. That's it. A door. You just need it for the first for door. For the first door. And I got my education later in life, about 28 years old before I went to undergrad, then went to law school, um, because I opened a modeling agency before. And I was just, through life circumstances, my life was bent towards my circumstances and not me bending everything towards who I was. And so for me, it, I've come to know that now, a woman in my middle age, I kept saying to myself, even now I question, it's only because I'm making some career changes that I feel like I need this particular PhD. But it was one of those things where my self-worth was tied to it. Because for a long time, when you are like who we are, where you don't fit in anywhere, you don't have relationships with a lot of women because they're taken aback by that. In business, you don't. I embrace being who I am, so I'm not trying to look like a man. I'm not trying to be Absolutely. So you just sort of don't fit in. All of my role models were white males. Same here. Oh, Same here, Judge Penny. I do you, understand. Absolutely. I never had a woman you know, to say, let me embrace you and help you. Well, they were it's white because we were first. We were the oh, first in so many it. areas of our lives. 
you know, being. That's true. You know, I get it. Now. It's just, and it, there weren't women who could pour into us the way that we are equipped to pour into others. But you know, as we're sitting talking about, um, you know, being that girl, being that woman, being that one, in an, on an island by ourselves, except that of our allies. Let's talk about the fifties. Let's talk about the sixties. Let's talk about the movement that enabled us to cross some of over some of those barriers without the it still was a challenge, it was still a lot of pain, but not with as many threats. Let's talk about that. Let's talk just a tad bit because I know that the civil rights movement meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to a lot of women. And just recently, a couple of years ago, we celebrated 50 years of the March on Selma. What did that mean to you when you looked back 50 years ago and driving it to where we are now? Well, it was the movement that actually brought me to ministry. I ended up going to the uh, Interdenominational Theological Center, which is a seminary for uh, theologians who are believing in liberative theology. And for me, imagine living down the street from Andrew Young, Ambassador Andrew Young. Uh, Dr. Lowry was my pastor. We come out of, I was ordained, uh, licensed through Ebenezer Baptist Church, so these were my idols. Dr. King was so aligned with the possibilities of what I could do. But what Dr. King did for me is, when I say my role models were white males, it didn't exclude me from doing business with other people. And I think for the civil rights movement, that's where it was different for us. It opened the way of possibilities, but it also made me very proud to be an African-American woman. But I was embraced by these white men from Governor Roy Barnes and Pierre Howe, all these people that saw something in me, even Mike Bowers, who was yes. a Republican, I worked for him as well. What it did for me was it gave me an opportunity to know who I am and walk in it, but it also showed me the possibilities that in order for me to be successful, I have to work with other races. And that's where my true power came because I went into business to do family court and I was the only African-American. And I realized that it was about money and not so much. And another thing, too, with the, that the, the 50s and 60s helped me to see is that I owe a debt. I believe that I owe a debt to those who come after me. That's what the beneficiaries, you and I, are supposed to be from the Andrew Youngs, the Dr. Lowry's, the Fannie Lou Hamers, all of those individuals. They paid a tremendous price so that then now we could be successful in business. We can go to school if we want to. But something is happening with this individualistic approach to how we all have this consciousness now. It's not a beloved community consciousness. It's not a consciousness that people are so threatened by one another. I'm not threatened by you and you're not threatened by me because we believe, like Joseph, that we are the only ones who are like who we are. We are created just for who we're created. So I'm not For such a time as this. For such a time as this, and you're absolutely correct. And you know, in talking about those relationships with uh, other other um, uh, nationalities, yes. and especially genders, yes, I recognize that as well in security. Mm. And when I began my 
my professional career in executive leadership in the security industry, there weren't women and there weren't men who looked like me, but there was a Jack Hendershot. Mm -hmm. Jack Hendershot was the director of security for Steelcase Corporation back in the early 80s. And I decided, well, God gives me vision. <laughs> and I decided, well, they're not receiving from me, meaning my, my, my bosses and the corporation. So who will they believe? They're going to believe someone who looks like them. They're going to believe someone who understands their language. For me, I've got to find that person. I befriend Jack Hendershot. Everything that I wanted to do at my plant in security, I'd call Jack. We'd talk it over. I didn't present that to my bosses. Although it was my idea, Jack presented it to my bosses. And guess what? We got the job done. Another example, when I left corporate America as director of security, there was a young white male hired in my position. They would never elevate my title the role was director of security, and I knew that. But they would never, they would never promote my role from manager. How could this young white guy yes. come into a position as director of security if it was never vacant? I argued the point. They had to change that on my uh, employment application wow. because when other employers verified my, did fact checks on me. They found that I was manager, and I said, no, I couldn't be manager. I started the department and led it to that of director of security, so the directorship position was left vacant by me, and it was changed. So I, I share that story for this reason. We have so many of those situations, but it takes a courage and a boldness to step up to the situation and make sure that it's corrected because that's what you did. No one else did that for you. You did that. So listening audience, you know, we're, we're going to get to the point where you can call in, and I'm sure there are many of you sitting on the edges of your seats wanting to call in to talk to Judge Penny. But I'm going to ask her some of the questions that I believe you'd be very curious about as well. I'm going to start with this one, Judge Penny. You were elected as one of America's leading intellectuals by CNN and Essence Magazine for reclaiming the dream. Share with us a little bit about how you're reclaiming that dream. Oh, thank you for that. Um, living in a life of example, and I'm so glad you brought up what happened with you because it had to do a lot with white privilege. And we see it as a negative instead of having this wonderful conversation about race. I think that if we ever could do that, all every America, I'm the product of the America dream, period. I love this country because nowhere else in this country could this little girl could just come to a point where I could be where I am just based on a country that allowed it. There are these forces that want to keep us divided, and we don't want that. Reclaiming the dream is about saying to yourself that you need to not be so tribal, living an example that, and never really walking away from my testimony. That's what I love about you. The video that you did, thinking about the cotton fields, there, are, there is a generation of people that they just look at where we are now. 
going back to reclaim a dream, Dr. King was bigger than just that dream. Yes. Joseph was bigger than that. People thought if you kill him, oh, here comes the dreamer. If we kill him, then we'll kill the dream. Reclaiming it is saying that we are in the greatest country in America. If you do have a dream, you're willing to work hard enough for it. Yes, we have racial barriers, but you stand up to it, but you do it in a way that the way that you did it, with courage. But until we, we can reclaim the dream when we come together and we're willing to sit that's why podcasts are so wonderful. We're willing to sit and have the conversations. I have always wanted to be a part of the conversation that moved us forward. Not just my people, but all of us forward. Because a lot of what's happening now, nobody's dreaming anymore. Oh my gosh, that is so absolutely true. And you know, when I see our children, especially when I talk to parents, the encouragement doesn't seem to be as dominant, it doesn't seem to be as consistent because we have so much that we can give our kids to occupy, occupy their minds, not grow their minds, just occupy their minds. Look at these uh, video games. I have no problem with that, but I do believe that there should be a limitation. I believe that parents should be involved in monitoring which types of games their children are playing. I, on the other hand, encourage the kids to take those to take those games and began dreaming of building their own. Mm -hmm. And instead of going to the store paying 30, 40 bucks for someone else's video or access online, let others pay that to use your product as well. So again, reclaiming the dreams. You remember, I went to a segregated school when I was a little girl. During segregation was also a time where our teachers ensure that we knew who we were. Knowing who we were was just as important back in that day as learning what it was we needed to carry us and propel us to those next levels and to be able to exist as a positive in this society. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do to help our community, help entrepreneurs, and even those dreaming of becoming women like we are today. Absolutely. I, I think we need to develop a mindset because right now we have leadership that's built on fear and not on hope. Yes, it is. Fear is always a place that will always want you to put other people down. You know, the one incredible Toni Morrison said that if somebody has to be on their knees in order for you to rise up and be tall, that's a serious problem. And so if you're going to be an entrepreneur, if you're going to dream and reclaim your dreams, you have to be optimistic and hopeful. You have to be. You have to understand that, yes, we have celebrity, and there's this narcissistic view of celebrity now that in order to be able to do it, but you have to bend to what the culture is. Always look for what is a need and provide that need. Don't just provide the need to provide it, but you have to do it in excellence. And your brand means everything. It's not just building a brand. It's associated with your business and what you are doing. When I close my eyes and I think of your business or I think of you, you think of excellence. You think of boldness. But what I also know about you is that you are a person that promotes other people. 
because you see the benefit of having the best around you because you don't walk in insecurity. So certainly if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you can't go with the winds because with the economy, things change. You have to have that firm rootedness about saying, everybody can't be an entrepreneur. Thank you for saying that, Judge Penny. Thank you so much. And one of the other things that I would like for our audience to get out of this conversation today is, you know, success doesn't always come alone. You've said it. We hear it all the time. You know, it takes a village. And if you see a turtle on the fence, you know it didn't get there by itself. Somebody placed it there. And that's what we're talking about today. So for those of you, number one, if you have a dream, know that dream can become a reality, but not just by you sitting on it. You too have to do something. And that those are things we're talking about. Judge Penny also relied on her mother a lot. And there were many things I'm sure your mother taught you. But you speak of seven things in specific. Share some of those things that mama said to you. Ooh, wow. My mama said a lady ain't what she was, but what she knows. But I've drawn the conclusion, it's all an illusion. Confusion's the name of a game. Hey, I'm Sarah Smith. I'm the co-host of the Chicken Charge podcast. And this podcast is really focused on professional women, entrepreneurship, and getting the job done. And that's why I'm happy to talk about M.M. LaFleur and their beautiful clothes, their beautiful professional business clothes that are going to make you look as amazing as the work you do. Again, you know, M.M. LaFleur designs are thoughtful. They're designed to make your life easier. As a professional working woman, I know you're busy, and these clothes will help you get dressed quickly and look amazing. Please go to mmlafleur.com slash chicken charge for $25 off your first purchase. Again, that's mmlafleur.com slash chicken charge and redeem $25 off your first purchase of a great piece of clothing. They have thoughtful designs, really beautiful machine washable fabrics, adjustable hems, nice pockets and suits that are designed to be packable if you have to travel, if you have to jump in the car and have a long drive, visit a client, you're gonna look great when you show up. Founded by Sarah LaFleur, a former management consultant, and Miyako Nakamura, I think I said that right, the former head designer from Zach Posen. M.M. LaFleur is proud to have a female leadership team, and they celebrate working women. Again, comfort and design and versatility are the keystone in these garments. Check them out. The company's got expert stylists that you can work with online. And they'll help you create a wardrobe. And you can change it up with your own jewelry, with your scent, with your look, your hair. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to look modern and classic with M.M. LaFleur. Again, go to mmlafleur.com slash chicken charge for $25 off of your first purchase. And you will look sharp. Not the average girl from
talk about wisdom, every time I think about it, I kind of get choked up because I felt an obligation to be able to do all of the things that she did not have the opportunities to do. Um, my mother had integrity and character. And she just says these stories that all money isn't good money. And at the time, I really never understood what that meant. You can't go into business with everyone. And you know when it's just not a good deal. And you have to know when to walk away from it. And a lot of times, my mother would always say to me, there is nothing in this world that you have to have. And once you get to that point, a problem is a lot of times our ego. Let's say you invest in something or you get caught up in a business deal and you put so much into it. You don't want to walk away from it. But she also taught me that inner voice is there for a reason. And even in business, don't let that go. And that if it's that kind of hard and, and you've gotten yourself into something, learn to be able to cut your losses and know that all money is not good money. That was probably one of the most valuable lessons she's ever taught me because I tend not to stay anywhere that doesn't feel good to me. Another thing that she always told me is I have the right to be happy. I have the right to be happy. I don't have to compromise that. In business, if you start out doing something and it's not working for you, you have to be able to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to do something because this is not bringing me joy. We have a lot of people, they're making a lot of money, they're very successful, but they're not happy with their lives because they're not willing to say that. I know in business, you're supposed to make money while you're sleeping. And so you have to set up a structure where you bring in the right people, but when they're not the right people. My biggest problem, and I want to be able to talk about where I've messed up in business, is I always saw the potential in people. And I was selecting people to be in positions based on potential. Have you ever done that? Oh, my. I've just started to get away from that because it's a heart. It's the H-E-A-R-T thing. Now but it can that also be hard. We make decisions based on our emotions, based on how it makes us feel, how it makes us feel. It doesn't make conflict. It should never make us feel good. We have to make those tough decisions, and we have to have those hard, H-A-R-D, without the heart mm. decision in business. Because you said it earlier, being an entrepreneur means so many other people depend on you. Yes. The only way you can deliver is if you've got the right people on your team supporting the initiatives that will flow to the employees. That is excellent. My mother told me, though, that I had to learn a, 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 at a young age to embrace being alone. Um, that was really beneficial now because now as I'm looking back over all the things she taught me, because being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur or times or a CEO is very lonely. It's very lonely for many reasons. Uh, there are not many women, um, African-American women or otherwise, that are in this position. If you're in careers, when I started out 30 years ago going to law school, now we have a lot of women, but I was one of the first. Yes, and we've so blazed those trails. We've made access easier. For other people. For other people and especially women more specifically, African-American women. We felt an obligation to do that. People don't have that obligation now. No, it's about me, 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 and mine. And I believe 
you know, I have a girlfriend and she's extremely wise in these areas. And she'll say things to me like, Mary, more isn't always more. Or less isn't always better. Excuse me, less isn't always less. More isn't always better. Yes. Less can sometimes be better. Yes. So when you really analyze what's in that statement, it's loaded. Yes. Loaded with wisdom. And you said something else earlier, and I want to just get back to that for mm -hmm. a moment. You talked about good deals aren't always good deals. Well, it's been my experience as an entrepreneur is that we look, we isolate things. And we look at a deal as closing a contract or a new opportunity to deliver a service, a product within our wheelhouse. Yes. But a good deal is everything that encompasses that contract. Absolutely. And so walking away from a bad deal can be one of the best things ever for your business. And we have to learn what are good and what are bad deals for us. How do we do that? We set up matrix. We have, we have um, uh, tools in place that we can measure. We analyze the impact that it's going to have on the business as a whole. And those are things that determine whether or not it's a good deal or a bad deal. You also mentioned earlier about cutting your losses. Again, going back to the heart, I believe we as women will hold on to situations that we know are not healthy yes. much longer because we believe in the people we're dealing with, not, not totally assessing the outcome, the performance, the fit and the impact that it has with others around us. So in identifying a good deal or a bad deal, it cannot be isolated. It cannot be isolated from your belief system, from your core values. Our core values can easily create a bad deal for us because we know that our business model is not one to provide services at certain locations or for certain people. You would look at that and say, well, man, how could she walk away from that deal? But in essence, you're saying, how could she walk away from the contract? That's, that's exceptional. Part of my businesses that I do, yes, I do speaking, but I also have a mediation arbitration firm and do crisis management. And so companies will have my people to come in if there's a situation, whether it's sexual harassment or whether there's some theft or whatever it is, we'll come in and do crisis management. And there are times when you have to make recommendations that they may not want to hear. But what you establish at the beginning or at the outset, if you want a particular outcome, I'm not the company to hire. Because what I'm going to do, it'll be a confidential finding. But I have to be able to tell you the truth. If people can't handle that, I don't care how much they offer me, I'll walk away from that. But a lot of times, successful people suffer from what I call the little God complex. That's that little G complex. And it, it comes in a lot of different ways. When I released myself from it, I was a better person all around. I just felt like no one could outwork me. I, if, if it had to be done and if I had to do it myself, I would do it myself. That's not smart. That's not what we're supposed to do as entrepreneurs. We're supposed to be able to tap into our gifts, and especially if we're visionaries. But I thought with the little God complex that I could just about solve every problem, that if I could get to that person, I could motivate them enough to do it, that if I go into a situation, I could help this business, transform their business, 
And that's just not like that. No, and because, you know, we are so energetic and because we are visionaries, we tend to also have greater expectations for others than they have of themselves. We often believe stronger in what we see in them and those opportunities than they do themselves. What are some of the things you're doing and how are you using that to help them and to, to help these individuals? And I won't just say business people because you're dealing with so many different types and categories, but how do you help them tap into that authenticity of themselves? And what are some of the things that you tell them to do to get from where they are to where you see that they could be? I think a lot of times what people don't do is actually they're not honest with themselves about what they want and then assessing whether or not they have the capability to get what they want. Whatever you have as a goal, I always, I look at it like this. I'm, I'm contemplating running for office in years to come. That's down the road, maybe, down the road. So let's say I'd have four. Thanks for letting us know. We'll, we're keeping our eyes on you. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> you know, it's a big change, you know. But let's say I'd have a goal. And my first goal might be to win. That's my first goal. I never take on anything, and there's only one goal. So let's say I'm a business owner and I want to be successful. I would never go into business only to make money. That's not it. Love what it. are the other goals? And all three of the other goals, because I usually go with about four of them, they're all attached to me. Because this is what I was saying. Am I going to spend my life building the dreams of other people or I'm going to build my dreams? So what am I getting? What do I want? Well, I want to use my gifts and talents, my destiny, and what my purpose, what am I going to do? I want to matter. Legacy matters to me. I had to be honest about that. Long after I'm gone, my poor mother was a single woman. I keep her legacy going by speaking her name. But I just kept saying, long after I've gone, what have I imparted in other people? That hope, something that changes them. So I know one thread of that goal is always that. The third thread is I want to be an example for other women. I want them to know that I was the first, but it was a hard road. What can I do so you don't make the same mistakes, the same not really understanding? We're not doing a lot of teaching. I wish we had these things called wisdom centers where we could go about and you could come in and they could come and partake of this. Why not? Why can't we have wisdom yeah. centers? Yeah, that's... I love that. Yeah, you know what? We have an opportunity where people can come, and depending on what it is, you'll put it online, let's say, and you'll say, in this day, we're talking about how to start your own business. And you come in, and you listen to people like what we're doing through conversations, and they're called wisdom centers. And so there's no reservoir of wisdom, because we went with four or five generations Parents started getting younger and younger, and so we didn't have that. And then another one of my goals is I want success. I always want success. But it's not measured the way that you said. It doesn't look. What does success look like? People are not reflective enough. We just take whatever definitions that we think. Success is not about money. You get older, people downsize. You might want the big mansion at the beginning of your life, 
But then as time go on, you might want the shoes and the house and the, all of what it looks like success. But as you begin to get older, as you become more reflective of the meaning of your life and what mark you want to leave on the planet, it starts looking different. And then there's that period of transition in all of our lives where we look like we have it all, but there's something missing. And the evolution of wisdom comes in trying to discover what that is. That goal of self-discovery of saying what it is that I want. That's my goals. And they're so clear. Very clear to And me. as they are shared with others, they understand that. But you've opened up something here. Um, and that's what we are embarking, embarking upon. That is my transition. And that is, as you so well put it, creating wisdom centers. Mm. You are aware that we're opening, we're, we're playing with the name now, the melting pot yeah. uh, community center. But as we've looked at that name, I don't know that we can use it as freely as we want to. So we have to talk about it. Just last night I was praying, asking God to give me that name that encompasses what it is we're doing. We're transferring knowledge that God has given us over the years. Experts from every industry coming in, imparting in our children. We have a K through 12 program. We have a juvenile justice program. In the educational center, we will also offer GED because we have so many of our people who didn't get their GED. We talked about it earlier. Education is the fundamental, most critical aspect of our foundation after our faith. And I believe that. And so at the center, you can bring in anything that involves our community and we have prepared some solutions. But the Wisdom Center, we're gonna talk offline. I love that. That in itself is the conversations, the rewriting of the narratives that's going to happen at the center. It's priceless. It when is. When Solomon, God gave Solomon the opportunity to have anything God wanted to give, give me wisdom. All he wanted was wisdom. wisdom. It has been everything since I was a little girl. My grandmother told me that. Yes. She said, all you need to do is seek wisdom. You are a wise woman, no matter where you are, no matter what happens. And so the ideas of having this all over the country where people who would never be able to go and just tap into a reservoir of wisdom no matter what it is. And so I'd always talked about, why don't we have wisdom centers all over the place? So it sounds That's like you it. have all the components the of components it. The components are there. We're opening in October. You are kidding We're me. We're opening in October, and it is so exciting. I was over all day yesterday with different people who are volunte volunteers from the community. We had one young man I met several weeks ago. He came. Hello, Melvin. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Melvin came yesterday, and he said, I have four of my own people, and I've talked to six others. So we have 10 people, and we're going to have the center ready for you to open on the 18th. These are volunteers because they said to me when I walked the streets, no one comes back. We don't know how to do it. We need someone to come and teach us. 
I said, well, if you guys will make a commitment and be a part of what we're bringing, it's on the way. And we're doing it for you. You know why? Because that's my legacy. It's my legacy. My grandmother taught us that we should always be in a position where we have more than enough that we can bless the person without enough. That's my legacy. It is also keeping my parents' dream alive for their children, which worked. Eight, nine children, eight of us, very successful. Remember, these are parents without sixth grade education combined. So you're absolutely right, Judge Penny. It's important to reflect. If we don't know where we've been, how can we understand where God is taking us? Absolutely. And when you look at wisdom, it transcends generations. It's intergenerational because it's age. You can have wisdom. You can be a 50-year-old person who's very successful and have no wisdom. And so, therefore, what you're doing with the combination of everything, education, juveniles, you're looking at GEDs, at the end of the day, no matter what they get, another thing that wisdom would hopefully teach us is our relationship with economics and money. Many times we are under this consciousness, which is what all this hate is about. We serve a God of abundance. There is enough for, for everyone when you know that. The criminalization of poverty is what I'm dealing with in my Ph.D. I believe it, it keeps us with an underclass that's a permanent underclass. Because what we're making people believe is you are poor, I grew up poor, but then you're destined for that. And so you're only used to the scraps. That's all you're used to getting. You're looking for handouts. You're looking for what someone can do for you instead of us trying to get them to a place where we pour so much wisdom into them that they can reflect on the best of what they do. No one is successful in life unless they're working through their gifts, period. I don't care who you are. That really. does it. That's it. That does it. I have just two more. We're running out of time, but sure. I could sit... We could make multiple series from this conversation alone. Um, but here's a question I get a lot, and I'm sure you do. And that is, is there really a separation between our work and our ministry? Oh, absolutely not. I love the answer. Absolutely That's what I always not. say. <laughs> absolutely not. That's why I was just saying about from my pain to my power right. to now I walk in authority. What does it mean to say? Because that sounds like a good buzzword. What does it mean to walk in authority? What it is is I am completely in awe that my theology is such that it's this. I always say I, I'm not Baptist. I, my religion is not Baptist. My religion is liberation because I think religion serves to either oppress you or liberate you. And so for me, my connection with my ministry, with my theology is there is something inside of me that I was created for and that I am to use all of my gifts and talents, I'll automatically be blessed from it because it, it always happens that way. But I am blessed to be a blessing to someone else because I was placed on this universe for this time to do that. Do I have to wear the big cross? Do I have to carry the Bible? No, indeed. I don't have to do any of those things. I have to live the life that I believe in. 
And that's a life of hope. It's a life of abundance. It's believing that we all have an opportunity to be our best selves, but we have to be able to be willing to help someone else. I can't separate it. It's who I am. It absolutely is. I had a lady, quick story. I had a lady stop me. We were we attended some type of an event. And on the way out, and I think I was serving as a panelist, and I often refer to God, who he is to me and what he does for all of us, whether you believe it or not, he still does. And she said to me, how can you talk about your faith as a businesswoman? And I politely said, I didn't create me. God created me. I'm not a businesswoman without my faith. I'm not a businesswoman without believing. It's not about being a businesswoman. It's about being all that you can be. But when you take that major component away from the creation of who you are, then you're missing a lot. And that's what I believe. You are. I don't know for you. For me, it came with a price. Um, I'm in the law. And I accepted my call while I was on the bench. Um, but I believe I always focused on wisdom more than anything. That's just my mantra of life. And so I think even for Hollywood, um, I could I easily be on television. It's just the character and nature of who I am, embracing being a woman of God, would not allow me to give the audience. You know, you're successful when you give people what they want, period. In business, we're all about service whether you're offering a service on television. And I'm just hoping that it's going to turn around in such a way that what I have to give, they may want. But for right now, um, that, that activity of being the stereotypical caricature of an African-American woman is not what I wanted to be. And I came on television at a time when reality television was at its best. And I had the opportunity to stay there and do that, and that's not what I wanted. So there was a sacrifice and a price that I paid for merging the two together. I have, at times, to be honest with you, questioned God about it and somewhat honestly resented it because I kept thinking, that's what's stopping me from running for office in some ways. Is there a place for a person who's willing to have their moral convictions of their faith not run away from it, but still have the clarity of mind to have the forethought in business, to understand the law, to be able to be that. We know there is a separation. We know how to bring it. But it is the essence of who we are. And once I confronted God, I had the burning bush moment like Moses, <laughs> and I had to take my shoes off. And when he said to them, go release your people, he came up with everything. I can't. I'm a stutterer. How do you want me to do this? It was at that very moment that he said, who are you then? Like you said, I was created. And I had to come and to oneness with myself and say, this is who I am. This is the package I'm, I am in. And if I do business with you, if I'm on television, if I speak wherever I am, just know that the essence of who I am will come through. And I'm going to just take it for what it is. So, yes, it is, it's a part of who I am. And it's so valuable. You have so much to share, Judge Penny. This has been a great conversation today. We're coming back, and when we come back, Sarah, we want it to be a real conversation with 
maybe two or three others that we can just be very, very engaging. This has been really, really good for me. You've inspired me. You encouraged me. I love you. And we're going to do great things together. That has already been prophesied. Yes, it has. And it's also rolled off your lips as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Sarah, thank you so much for coordinating today and Port, you know we love you being here. We can't do it without you. And to our listening audience, thank you so very much. Perhaps you didn't get as many chick tips today, but I'm sure you learned some very, very valuable lessons. And um, and we applaud you as well. So take the best from the best and let it work for you. Our time's up and we have to go. This is Mary Parker, and I am the chick in charge. Subscribe to The Chick in Charge at thechickincharge.com. Get a free download of Mary Parker's Tips for Success, tips that'll make short work of some of today's most challenging issues facing female business owners. Thanks for listening to The Chick in Charge. <laughs>